0: Chapter 2 of Falcons of Narabedla by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 Rainbow City. You are mad, said the man with the tired voice. I was drifting, I was swaying, bodiless, over a huge abyss of caverned space, chasmed, immense, limitless. Vaguely, through a sleeping distance, I heard two voices. This one was old and very tired. You are mad! They will know! Narayan will know! Narayan is a fool, said the second voice. Narayan is the dreamer, the tired voice said. He is the dreamer, and where the dreamer walks, he will know. But have it your way. I am very old, and it does not matter. I give you this power freely, to spare you. But gamin Gamin, the second voice stopped. After a long time. You are old and a fool, Reese, it said. What is gammon to me? Bodiless, blind, I drifted and swayed and swung in the sound of the voices. The humming, like a million high tension wires, sang around me and I felt myself cradled in the pull of a great magnet that held me suspended surely on nothingness and drew me down into the field of some force beneath. Far below me the voices faded. I swung free, fell, plunged downward in sickening motion, head over heels, into the abyss. My feet struck hard flooring. I wrenched back to consciousness with a jolt. Winds blew coldly in my face. The cabin walls had been flung back to the high-lying stars. I was standing at a barred window at the very pinnacle of a tall tower, in the lap of a weird blueness that arched flickeringly in the night. I caught a glimpse of a startled face, a lean, tired old face beneath a peaked hood, in the moment before my knees gave way and I fell, striking my head against the bars of the window. I was lying on a narrow, high bed in a room filled with doors and bars. I could see the edge of a carved mirror set in a frame and the top of a chest of some kind. On a bench at the edge of my field of vision there were two figures sitting. One was the old grey man, hunched wearily beneath his robe, wearing robes like a Tibetan lama's, somber black and a peaked hood of grey. The other was a slimmer, younger figure swathed in silken silver veiling, with a thin opacity where the face should have been, and a sort of opalescent shine of flesh through silvery sapphire silks. The figure was that of a boy or slim, immature girl. It sat erect, motionless, and for a long time I studied it, curious, between half-open lids. But when I blinked it rose and passed through one of the multitudinous doors. At once a soft sibilance of draperies announced return. I sat up, getting my feet to the floor, or almost there. The bed was higher than a hospital bed. The blue robe held a handled mug, like a baby's drinking cup, at me. I took it in my hand, hesitated. "'Neither drug nor poison,' said the blue robe mockingly, and the voice was as noncommittal as the veiled body. A sexless voice, soft alto a woman's or a boy's. Drink, and be glad it is none of Caramy's brewing. I tasted the liquid in the mug. It had an indeterminate greenish look and a faint, pungent taste I could not identify, although it reminded me variously of anise and garlic. It seemed to remove the last traces of shock. I handed the cup back empty and looked sharply at the old man in the llama costume. "'You're Reese?' I said. Where in hell have I gotten to? At least that's what I meant to say. Imagine my surprise when I found myself asking, in a language I'd never heard but understood perfectly, to which of the domains of Zandru have I been consigned now? At the same moment I became conscious of what I was wearing. It seemed to be an old-fashioned nightshirt, chopped off at the loins, deep crimson in color. Red flannels yet, I thought, with a gulp of dismay. I checked my impulse to get out of bed. Who could act sane in a red nightshirt? You might have the decency to explain where I am, I said, if you know. The tiredness seemed part of Reese's voice. Adric, he said wearily, try to remember. He shrugged his lean shoulders. You are in your own tower. And you have been under restraint again. I am sorry. His voice sounded futile. I felt prickling shivers run down my backbone. In spite of the weird surroundings, the phrase under restraint had struck home. I was a lunatic in an asylum. The blue-robed one cut in in that smooth, sexless, faint, sarcastic voice. While Caramy holds the amnesia ray, Reese, you will be explaining it to him a dozen times a cycle. He will never be of use to us again. This time, Karami won. Edric, try to remember. You were at home in Narabedla. I shook my head. Nightshirt or no nightshirt, I'd face this on my feet. I walked to Rhys, put my clenched hands on his shoulders. Explain this. Who am I supposed to be? You called me Edric. I'm no more Adric than you are. Adric, you are not amusing. The blue robe's voice was edged with anger. Use what intelligence you have left. You have had enough sherrig antidote to cure a Tharl. Now, who are you? The words were meaningless. I stared, trapped. I clung to hold on to identity. Adric, I said, bewildered. That was my name. Was it? Wasn't it? No. I was Mike Kenscott. Hang on to that. Two and two are four. The circumference equals the radius squared times pi. Four rolls is the chemming of a twilp. Stop that. Mike Kenscott. Summer, 1954. Army Serial number 1 13-48746. Kerami. I cradled my bursting head in my hands. "'I'm crazy. Or you are. Or we're both sane, and this monkey business is all real.' "'It is real,' said Rhys, compassion in his tired face. "'He has been very far on the time ellipse, Gamine. Adric, try to understand. This was Karamy's work. She sent you out on a time-line.' far, very far into the past, into a time when the earth was different. She hoped you would come back changed, or mad. His eyes brooded. I think she succeeded. Gamine, I have long outstayed my leave. I must return to my own tower, or die. Will you explain? I will. A hint of emotion flickered in the voice of Gamine. "'Go, master.' Reese left the room, through one of the doors. Gamming turned impatiently to me again. "'We waste time this way. Fool, look at yourself.' I strode to a mirror that lined one of the doors. Above the crimson nightshirt I saw a face. Not my own. The sight rocked my mind. Out of the mirror a man's face looked anxiously. A face eagle-thin darkly mustached, with sharp green eyes. The body belonging to the face that was not mine was lean and long and strongly muscled, and not quite human. I squeezed my eyes shut. This couldn't be. I opened my eyes. The man in the red nightshirt I was wearing was still reflected there. I turned my back on the mirror, walking to one of the barred windows to look down on the familiar outline of the Sierra Madre, about a hundred miles away. I couldn't have been mistaken. I knew that ridge of mountains. But between me and the mountains lay a thickly forested expanse of land which looked like no scenery I had ever seen in my life. I was standing near the pinnacle of a high tower. I dimly saw the curve of another just out of my line of vision. The whole landscape was bathed in a curiously pinkish light. Through an overcast sky I could just make out, dimly, the shadowy disk of a watery red sun. Then, no, I wasn't dreaming, I really did see it. Beyond it, a second sun. Blue-white, shining brilliantly, pallid through the clouds, but brighter than any sunlight I had ever seen. It was proof enough for me. I turned desperately to Gammy behind me. Where have I gotten to? Where when am I? Two suns? Those mountains? The change in Gammy's voice was swift, the veiled face lifted questioningly to mine. What I had thought a veil was not that. It seemed to be more like a shimmering screen wrapped around the features so that Gammy was faceless, an invisible person with substance but no apprehensible characteristics. Yes, it was like that." as if there was an invisible person wearing the curious silken draperies. But the invisible flesh was solid enough. Hands like cold steel gripped my shoulders. "'You have been back? Back to the days before the second sun? Adric, tell me, did Earth truly have but one sun?' "'Wait,' I begged. "'You mean I've travelled in time?' The exultation faded from Gamine's voice imperceptibly. "'Never mind. It is improbable in any case. No, Adric, not really traveling. You were only sent out on the time ellipse till you contacted someone in that other time. Perhaps you stayed in contact with his mind so long that you think you are he.' "'I'm not Adric,' I raged. "'Adric sent me here.' I saw the blurring around Gamine's invisible features twitch in a headshake. It's never been proven that two minds can be interchanged like that. Adric's body, Adric's brain. The brain convolutions, the memory centers, the habit patterns. You'd still be Adric. The idea that you are someone else is only an illusion of your conscious mind. It will wear off. I shook my head, puzzled. I still don't believe it. Where am I? Gamine moved impatiently. "'Oh, very well. You are Adric of Narabedla, and if you are sane again, Lord of the Crimson Tower. I am Gamine.' The swathed shoulders moved a little. "'You don't remember. I am a spell-singer.' I jerked my elbow toward the window. "'Those are my own mountains out there,' I said roughly. "'I'm not Adric, whoever he is. My name's Mike Kenscott.' "'And your hanky-panky doesn't impress me. "'Take off that veil and let me see your face.' "'I wish you meant that,' a mournfulness breathed in the soft contralto. "'A sudden fury blazed up in me from nowhere. "'And what right have you to pry for that old fool Reese? "'Get back to your own place, then, spell-singer.' "'I broke off, appalled. "'What was I saying? "'Worse, what did I mean by it?' "'Gamine turned.' the sexless voice was coldly amused. Adric spoke then. Whoever sits in the seat of your soul, you are the same, and past redemption. The robes whispered sibilantly on the floor as Gammy moved to the door. Caramy is welcome to her slave. The door slammed. Left alone, I flung myself down on the high bed, stubbornly concentrating on Mike Kenscott, Shutting out the vague, blurred mystery in my mind that was Adric impinging on my consciousness. I was not Adric. I would not be. I dared not go to the window and look out at the terrifying two suns, even to see the reassurance of the familiar Sierra Madre skyline. A homesick terror was hurting in me. But persistently, the Adric memories came a guilty feeling of a shirked duty, and a frightened face. A real face, not a blurred nothingness, beneath Gamine's blue veils. Memories of strange hunts and a big bird on the pommel of a high saddle. A bird hooded like a falcon in crimson. Consciousness of dress made me remember the nightshirt I still wore. Moving swiftly, without conscious thought, I went to a door and slid it open, pulled out some garments and dressed in them. Every garment in the closet was the same color deep-hued crimson. I glanced in the mirror and a phrase gaming had used broke the surface of my mind like a leaping fish. Lord of the Crimson Tower! Well, I looked it. There had been knives and swords in the closet. I took out one to look at it, and before I realized what I was doing I had belted it across my hip. I stared, decided to let it remain. It looked all right with the rest of the costume it felt right, too. Another door folded back noiselessly and a man stood looking at me. He was young and would have been handsome in an effeminate way if his face had not been so arrogant. Lean, somehow catlike, it was easy to determine that he was akin to Adric, or me, even before the automatic habit of memory fitted name and identity to him. "'Everin,' I said warily. He came forward, moving so softly that for an uneasy moment I wondered if he had pads like a cat's on his feet. He wore deep green from head to foot, similar to the crimson garments that clothed me. His face had a flickering, as if he could at a moment's notice raise a barrier of invisibility like Gamine's about himself. He didn't look as human as I. "'I have seen Gamine,' he said. "'She says you are awake,' and as sane as you ever were. We of Nerabedla are not so strong that we can afford to waste even a broken tool like you. Wrath, Adric's wrath, boiled up in me. But Everin moved lithely backward. I am not Gamine, he warned, and I will not be served like Gamine has been served. Take care. Take care yourself, I muttered, knowing little else I could have said. Everin drew back thin lips. Why, you have been set out on the time ellipse till you are only a shadow of yourself, but all this is beside the point. Karimi says you are to be freed, so the seals are off all the doors, and the crimson tower is no longer a prison to you. Come and go as you please. Karimi, his lips formed a sneer, if you call that freedom. I said slowly. You think I'm not crazy? Everard snorted. Except, where Karamee is concerned, you never were. What is that to me? I have everything I need. The dreamer gives me good hunting and slaves enough to do my bidding. For the rest, I am the toy maker. I need little. But you, his voice leaped with contempt, you ride time at Karamee's bidding, and your dreamer walks waiting the coming of his power that he may destroy us all one day." I stared somberly at everin standing still near the door. The words seemed to wake an almost personal shame in me. The boy watched, and his face lost some of his bitterness. He said more quietly, "'The falcon flown cannot be recalled. I came only to tell you that you are free.' He turned. "'shrugging his thin shoulders, and walked to the window. "'As I say, if you call that freedom.' "'I followed him to the window. "'The clouds were clearing. "'The two suns shone with a blinding brilliance. "'By looking far to the left, "'I could see a line of rainbow-tinted towers "'that rose into the sky, "'tall and capped with slender spires. "'I could distinguish five clearly. "'One the nearest,' seemed made of a jeweled blue, one clear emerald green, golden flame-colored violet. There were more beyond, but the colors were blurred and dim. They made a semicircle about a wooded park. Beyond them the familiar skyline of the mountain tugged old memories in my brain. The sun swung high in a sky that held no tint of blue, that was as clear and colorless as ice. Abruptly I turned my back on it all. Everin murmured, "'Narabedla, last of the Rainbow Cities. Adric, how long now?' I did not answer. "'Karamie wants me?' Everin's laugh was only a soundless shaking of his thin shoulders. "'Karamie can wait. Better for you if she waited forever. Come along with me, or Gammon will be back. You don't want to see Gammon, do you?' he sounded anxious, I shook my head. Emphatically, I did not want to see that insidious spook again. No. Why, should I? Evren looked relieved. Come along, then. If I know Gammin, you're pretty well muddled. Amnesiac, I'll explain. After all, his voice mocked, you are my brother. He thrust open the door and motioned me through. Instinctively I drew back, gesturing him to lead the way. He laughed soundlessly and went, and I followed, letting it slide shut behind me. We went downstairs and more stairs. I walked it ever inside, one part of me wondering why I was not more panicky. I was a stranger in a world gone insane, yet I had that outrageous calmness with which men do fantastic things in a dream. I was simply taking one step after another, knowing what to do with that part of me that was Adric. Gamine had spoken of habit patterns, the convolutions of the brain. I had Adric's body. Only a superficial me, an outer ego, was still a strange, muddled Mike Kenscott. The subconscious Adric was guiding me. I let him ride. I felt it would be wise to be very much Adric around Everin. We stepped into an elevator shaft which went down, curved around corners with a speed that threw me against the wall, then began, slowly, to rise. I had long since lost all sense of direction. Abruptly the door of the shaft opened and we began to walk along a long, brilliantly illuminated passage. From somewhere we heard singing, a voice somewhere in the range of a trained boy's voice or a woman's mature contralto, Gamine's voice. I could make no sense of the words, but Everin halted to listen, swearing in a whisper. I thought the faraway voice sang my name and Everin's, but I could not tell. "'What is it, Everin?' He gave a short exclamation, the sense of which was lost on me. "'Come along,' he said irritably. "'It is only the spell-singer, singing old Reese back to sleep. You waked him this time, did you not?' I wonder Gamine permitted it. He is very near his last sleep, old Reese. I think you will send him there soon. Without giving me a chance to answer, and for that matter I had no answer ready, he pulled me aside between recessed walls and again the shaft in which we stood began to ride. Eventually we stepped into a room at the top of another tower, a room lavishly, even garishly furnished. Evren flung himself carelessly on a divan embroidered in silken and purple, and gestured me to follow his example. "'Well, now tell me, where in time has Karami sent you now?' "'Karami?' I asked tentatively. Evren's raucous laugh rang out again. He said with seeming irrelevance, but with an odd air of confiding, "'My one demand of the dreamer is freedom from that witch's spells.' Some day I shall fashion a toy for her. I am not the toy-maker of Nerabedla for nothing. I demand little enough of the dreamers, Zandru knows. I do not like to pay their price, but Karamy does not care what she pays. So—he made a spreading movement of his hands—she has power over everyone, except me. Yes, assuredly, I must make her a toy. She sent you out on the time ellipse— I wonder who brought you back. I shook my head. I've been out of my body too long. I can't remember much. You remember me, Everin said. I wonder why she left you that. Karimi's amnesia rays took the rest of your memory. She never trusted me that far before. But I caught the crafty look in his face. I knew only this about Everin: Karimi was right not to trust him. I said, "'I only remember your name, nothing more. Because Evren, I knew, was never ten minutes the same. He would profess friendship and mean friendship. Ten minutes later, still in friendship, he would flay the skin from my body and count it only an exquisite joke. I did not like those perverted and subtle eyes. He seemed to read my thought. "'Good, we will be strangers.' "'Brothers are too—' he let the word trail off, unfinished. "'What have you forgotten?' "'Could I trust him with my terrible puzzlement? "'How much could I, as Adric, and I must be Adric to him, get along without knowing? "'What was even more to the point? "'How many questions could I dare ask without betraying my own helplessness?' "'I compromised. "'What are the dreamers?' That had been the wrong question. Zandru, Adric, you have been far indeed. You must have been back before the Cataclysm. Well, our forefathers, after the Cataclysm, ruled this planet and built the Rainbow Cities. That was before the compact that killed machines. Some people say the dreamers were born from the dead machines. He began to pace the floor restlessly. "'They were men, once,' he said. "'They are born from men and women. "'Mendel knows what caused them. "'But one in every ten million men is such a freak, a dreamer. "'Some say they came out of the cataclysm. "'Some say they are the souls of the dead machines. "'They are human and not human. "'They were telepaths. "'They could control everything, things, minds, people.' They could throw illusions around things and men. They contested our rules.' He sat down. His voice became brooding, quiet. "'One of us, here in Rainbow City, a dozen generations ago, found a way to bind the dreamers,' he said. "'We could not kill them. They were deathless, normally. But we could bind them in sleep. As they slept, under a forced stasis, we could make them give up their powers, to us, so that we controlled the things they controlled. For a price. There was a glimpse of horror behind his eyes. You know the price. It is high. I kept silent. I wanted Everin to go on. He shivered a little, shook his head, and the horror vanished. So each of us has a dreamer of his own who can grant him power to do as he wills and after years and years, as the dreamers grow old, they grow mortal. They can be killed. And fewer are born now, fewer to each generation. As they grow older and weaker, it is safe to let them wake, but never too strongly or too long.' He laughed bitterly. A fury came from nowhere into his face. "'And you loosed a dreamer!' he cried. A dreamer with all his power hardly come upon him. He is harmless as yet, but he wakes and he walks, and one day the power will come upon him, and he will destroy us all. Evren's thin features were drawn with despair, not arrogant now, but full of suffering. A dreamer, he sighed, a dreamer, and you have been made one with him already.' "'Can you see now why we do not trust you, brother?' Without answering, I rose and went to the window. This window did not look on the neat little park, but on a vast tract of wild country. Far away, curious trails of smoke spiraled up into the sunlight, and a wispy fog lay in the bottomlands. "'Down there,' said Evren in a low voice, "'down there the dreamer walks and waits.' down there. But I did not hear the rest, for my mind completed it. Down there. Down there is my lost memory. Down there was my life. Somewhere down there I had left my soul. End of chapter 2